Just out of curiosity, a show of hands, how many of you actually stayed up till midnight New Year's Eve? Wow, man, I, okay, wow, I thought I'd be in the majority. I didn't. I kind of, I, uh, I guess I'm getting too old for that kind of thing, but you know, anyway. Uh, I heard Netflix actually was working in parents' favor. Did anybody watch Netflix New Year's Eve? They were tricking children to thinking New Year's came earlier than it normally would have. Yeah, so that the kids could go to sleep and parents could have a quiet or a, a fun evening celebrating the new year without the children. But we didn't watch it, so I don't know how that played out. But I was interested to know how they're going to pull that off. My kids and I, or Lori and I, used to celebrate the Scottish New Year when our kids were younger. Uh, that's because in Scotland, New Year's comes at about 4 p.m. here. So we could just kind of get it over with and go to bed at 9 o'clock. So. Uh, we're more of early bird type of people. But uh, New Year's is an exciting time for most people, right? It's a, a time of fresh starts, hopeful anticipation of the new year, resolutions, and, uh, or, or some of you just happy to get done with the year that's just passed. Either way, we look forward to what the next year is going to be bringing us. It's a forward-looking glance. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about uh, kind of the last Sunday of the year, having Christ as part of that vision of ours, his, his person, his power, his position, that really can set the life trajectory for the year to come. Well, this morning, I kind of want to pick up a little bit on that theme again and think about what it means to have a strong spiritual life. Now, I'm not the kind of guy that does New Year's resolutions, but I always find that it's wise that at times of the year to take stock on, on how you're stewarding your life. And as I thought about this next coming year for 2016, I think we all as a church want to be a strong church. We want to be strong Christians. And for that, I thought of a great passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 from Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy. Now, when I was a, a young pastor starting off back in my first pastor in 2002, I used to have a little post-it note, and I had just two Greek words written on that post-it note sitting at the bottom of my monitor. So every morning when I sat down at my desk, I'd be thinking about those two words. Uh, and the two words come from 1 Corinthians 16, where Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. So two Greek words, andreste, kratuste. Basically, that means in English, be courageous and be strong. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 to this uh, young church in Corinth, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So those are those two words, be courageous, be strong. You know, throughout God's Word, there are encouragements to God's people to be strong and courageous. In the Old Testament, we have Joshua speaking to the children of Israel on the cusp of going into the promised land, uh, rife with opportunity, but fear as well. Joshua says, have I not commanded you, in Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Even to the faithful church at Ephesus, Paul, the mighty apostle of the Gentiles, would write in Ephesians 6, 9, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And so our text this morning, 2 Timothy 1, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, offers us four commands that helps us understand what it means to be spiritually strong. 
And I like uh, commands in the Bible. I know that may not be popular in our culture, right? We, we don't like to be told what to do. Uh, in our culture, authority has kind of a bad rap, and so things like commands don't go over very well. But if, if you want to know the will of your Lord, you like commands. You look for those verbs in the New Testament that tell you what to do. There, there's, there's no ambiguity. It's very clear what has to be done. The only challenge is actually doing it. Well, our passage this morning in these seven verses have four such commands. When Paul says to Timothy and by application to the church under his care, he's telling them, this is how you be strong in the Lord. So, for the very first three verses, we have a command in each verse, and then there's some metaphors that Paul uses to, to further illustrate those commands, and then verse 7, there's a final command. So, there is a command to be strong, a command to entrust, a command to suffer, and a command to think. Now, um, there is, so again, a command to be strong, a command to entrust, a command to suffer, and a command to think. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, I'll admit, that's probably not the most glamorous outline you've ever seen in a biblical passage, but I think it's probably going to be one of the more important ones this year, uh, particularly that third one. Uh, you know, that, that's not a popular thing. I try to th- rephrase that some way, but there's no way of getting around it. In verse 3, Paul is very upfront about the command to suffer. And so, we're going to look at that. And by the way, Paul probably realizes that that's, that's the, the harder pill to swallow because it's at that place where he puts his three metaphors to help us understand, to help these Christians understand, what does it mean, this command to suffer, and what does that look like in the Christian life? So, with that, let me pray and ask God's blessing on the teaching of His Word, and we'll just jump right in. Father, we thank You that we could gather this first Sunday of the year and maybe for the first time this year for some of us to orient our hearts toward You in song. Certainly for many of us, it's the first time this year to be with people, lifting up our voices in Your praise. It's a good thing, God. It's good for our souls. Thank You that we could gather and hear Your Word being taught as we have sung it and prayed it and minister it to one another. Spirit, give us ears to hear what you would have to say to us as we begin 2016. Father, thank you for your many blessings you've poured out on us, what we've experienced in 2015. We are grateful, and we ask for your continued goodness and hand upon us in the coming year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in 2 Timothy... Uh, This is Paul's last epistle that he wrote before he was executed by the Roman Empire. He's writing to his young protege, pastor by the name of Timothy, uh, starting probably what is his first pastorate. He's pastoring the church at Ephesus. If you were here in our study of Ephesians, uh, Timothy was one of the pastors at that time. And, and, And Timothy, unlike Paul, Paul was this bold, trailblazing apostle to the Gentiles who traveled all the world. Timothy wasn't that way. Timothy was more of a homebody. He liked to stay close to home. He was a timid man and and more gentle and shy by nature. Paul recognized that, that Timothy had all the great characteristics of a shepherd, but needed to be encouraged as the gospel was really facing a very hostile, non Christian culture. And so, as Paul's reflecting on his leaving the scene, thinking of what are the things that his young protege, what are the things that these young Christians need to know? And they need to know how to be strong. You know, in in many ways, as our culture drifts further and further away from 
any sense of a Judeo-Christian heritage, it actually drifts closer and closer to the climate of the first century church. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. The farther we drift from a predominantly Judeo-Christian heritage, the closer we actually drift to the climate of the first century for these believers. You see, the further we get as a culture from a, a Christendom, and we drift more towards a pluralistic, polytheistic society where, where rules are up for grabs and there's no absolute truth, we actually find ourselves more in the environment of the original Christians in the first century. And so God's Word, far from being less and less relevant as our culture becomes less and less Christian, it actually grows more relevant because that's the cultural context that the church was born. And so Paul knows as he's leaving the scene, and he was a mighty force to be reckoned with, uh, more than any other man, Paul was responsible for the gospel being spread throughout the Mediterranean world. And his time has come. He knows it. It had been prophesied. He feels that his time in ministry is coming to a close, and now speaks to the next generation of pastors and church members of this church in Ephesus. And he says to them four commands. The first one is in verse 1, commanded to be strong. Now, whatever the particulars were of Timothy's struggle and this first century church, uh, we, we know some of the specifics, but if you just read the first chapter of 2 Timothy, you get a sense of context. Now, listen, just from the first chapter, the things that Paul feels these Christians need to know. In the very first chapter, verse 6 Timothy, and by way of application, the entire church needs to fan in the flame the gift of God which was in them. In verse 7, Paul felt he needed to rem remind them to remember and exercise the power and love and discipline which the Holy Spirit has given to all believers. In verse 8, Paul wanted to remind them and encourage them to not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and to join in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Verse 13, Paul reminds the church to follow the pattern of sound words which they heard from himself, Paul himself, as well as the other disciples. In verses 15 and 16, Paul reminds Timothy and these Christians that they need to avoid faithless church members like Philagius and Hermogenes, and to identify with faithful men like Onesiphorus, verses 15 and 16. All this in chapter 1 alone, which concludes and climaxes in chapter 2, verse 1, with Paul's command, you then, my child, be strengthened. So this is a command. It's an imperative. You must do this. But it's a command always tempered with love. That's what I love about the church. That's what I love about the gospel, that it commands of us, but always there's a relationship based in love. So he commands Timothy, but it's one rooted in this father-son relationship that he has, calls him my child. Be strengthened. Now, Timothy had the advantage that, that many people in our own congregation have, that a godly heritage Timothy could see in the life of his grandmother, uh, Lois, a, a, a convert to the gospel. Now, keep in mind, this is 35, 40 years, some years after Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. So, Timothy's grandmother becomes a convert, hands it down to her daughter, Timothy's mother, Lois, who then hands it down to young Timothy. 
So Paul says, be strengthened. You have a godly heritage to pull from, but that's not only, and that's not primarily where Timothy is to be strengthened from. Because you notice in his command to Timothy, it's in what's called the passive voice. In other words, Timothy is not to be strong in his own strength. Timothy's Timothy's short source of strength is not from his own merit, so to speak. He's to be strengthened from something else. Paul says in verse 1, Timothy, you are to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Maybe a better way to translate that is, Timothy, be strengthened by means of the grace that is yours in Christ. So you are to be strong, but not in your own pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of strength. You are to be strong by the means of grace that's available for you in Christ. Now, Paul knew that we are saved by grace. If you're a note taker, write down Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. Paul writes to the church, for by grace you have been saved and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. So we're saved by grace and we're also kept by grace. Peter, the apostle, he wrote in 2 Peter 1, 3, his divine power, speaking of the Lord, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Paul says our only true spiritual strength doesn't come from ourselves, but Ephesians 6.10, it is in the Lord and the power of His might. So Paul's command is you need to be strong, but not in yourself. Be strong by the means of grace that is in Christ. So grace is not just something that, that kind of wipes the slate clean and forgives us and makes us right before God, although it does that. Grace is also unto our change. Have you ever, ever heard anyone use the term grace, and the only way they use it is, is to make up for the mistakes they may have made, right? We, that's the way we commonly use the term. Oh, there, it's called a grace period or something like that. You know, I had a friend my, at my last church, whenever he made a mistake or did something wrong, and I was a supervisor, he'd always say, well, there's grace, to which I'd say, yeah, find that at the cross next time to your job, right? I actually didn't say it that much, but, but he'd always say, well, there's grace, well, there's grace, and I said, yeah, 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 there's always grace, but the way he tended to use the word was that it was only to make up for the things that I messed up on, and that's true biblically. But he never seemed to understand the component of grace, that grace is always also unto my change. That grace not only forgives my sins, but it is the dynamic by which changes me to be all that Christ has called me to be. So uh, uh, Titus 2, 11, 12 brings us out beautifully. Uh, Paul is writing to another one of his young protégés, Titus. He says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So Paul is saying that there's this grace that has come, and it trains us to turn away from ungodliness, and it trains us to godliness. So grace is the grace that forgives and restores and puts us in a place that's amazing before the Lord, but it's also the dynamic by which it changes us. And so Paul says, you need to be strong in grace, not in your own strength. You don't have the strength you need, but in Christ you do. You know, years ago, there were um, 
in New Jersey. They were trying to build a bridge across the mouth of a river on the Atlantic. And as they were driving the pilings down, they discovered that embedded in the sea, sh- sea floor was the, 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 freight, the hulk of a, the barge, of a barge. The, the, uh, a barge was just there. And they realized that they couldn't redirect the bridge. Somehow they had to remove this barge that was embedded in the seafloor. Well, they tried all kinds of mechanical means and ways to, to, uh, to break this thing out, and nothing seemed to work. So one day, one of the engineers came up with an ingenious idea. He said, hey, how about at low tide, we bring other f- barges above it and run a cable attached to the two barges on the surface and run it underneath the barge that's embedded. And when the tide rises, let the tide break free the barge underneath. And so they did it. The first time it went, the barge loosened a little. The low tide came, they tightened the cables, and they did this for several cycles until finally the embedded barge in the sea floor broke free. The amazing thing was no matter what mechanical forces they tried, nothing would budge this thing, but when they harnessed the immeasurable power of nature, the barge was broken out of its sea floor. And Paul is saying, you don't have the strength in you to be strong the way you need to be. You need to be strengthened by Christ. So, so a strong spiritual life is one that's fueled by grace. Now, last week, we gave a hint into to how that part of that dynamic works, and we talked about that is being amazed at the work of Christ on your behalf. In, in short, being amazed at the gospel being amazed at the gospel over and over again, that perfect holy God would give His life for vile sinners like myself is a mind-blowing concept. Beginning in in verse 3 of this chapter, Paul's going to add a little more depth to to what a life that is growing in that kind of grace will actually look like. But, But the first thing to know about being spiritually strong is that that strength doesn't come from yourself. It is not something that you muster up. It comes from being fueled by being amazed at Christ and what He has done. If you're a note-taker, write down 2 Corinthians 3.18. We looked at that verse a little more carefully last week. But as we behold the image of Christ, as we're being amazed at the gospel and the truths of the gospel, we are transformed from one image of glory into another. And in, in 2 Peter 1.3, Peter says that we, we have everything we need for life and godliness through growing in our knowledge of Him. So the way we're fueled by grace is being amazed at the gospel. I can't believe that God would do this. Being amazed at the love of God shown to us in the cross. And Peter adds that, says, but also growing through our knowledge of Him, we have all that we need for life and godliness. Now, there's our second command in our passage that's closely tied to the first. It's in verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Notice there's two parts to it, isn't there? Verse 2a, there is the receiving aspect of it, and then 2b, there is then the giving away of it aspect of it. It's always and necessarily both those elements, and in that order. So as you think about this next coming year, the question I want to ask is, how are you hearing the gospel in your life? How are you surrounding yourself with its truths? How are you doing, as verse 2 saying, receiving it, bringing it in? Now, if you read the pastoral epistles, uh, Paul talks about the gospel as the good deposit. 
And he says to him in, in, in uh, uh, 1 Timothy 6.20, guard this good deposit. Uh, in 2 Timothy 1.14, guard the deposit. And here he says, but also entrust it and give it away. So we have to ask ourselves, how are we hearing the gospel? How am I surrounding myself with the gospel? And in this day and age, man, there's just so many resources available, isn't there? Uh, I said I'd do this in first service, so I think I, I need to pull, full, go through with it. I, I will post on the city uh, things that I use like podcasts, Bible apps, all, making use of all the tools out there to surround yourself with the gospel. You know, if you're somebody who has a commute, you've got the ideal time to be hearing the gospel proclaimed and taught as you're driving to work. If you're not a reader, there are audible, uh, audio books. There's a, a website called um, audible.com, I think, where they just have the books read to you. The point is, how are you surrounding yourself with the gospel? Now, when I say gospel, don't think I just mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm talking not only about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the implications of that all throughout the New Testament. The promises veiled through the Old Testament pointing to the gospel message. How are we receiving it and turning around and giving it away? Oh, there's so many ways to do that. So many ways to do that. Uh, And so many tools to help you. You have to avail yourself to them. The reason I'm taking a moment to say that is you're just not going to naturally want to grow to be like Jesus Christ. Can we just admit that? It is not within your general nature to desire and hunger after the things of God. It's just not going to happen unless you deliberately realize that I need to surround my life with the gospel and put in systems or structures or whatever it takes to allow that process to happen so that you are hearing it, you're, being, you're receiving it, and then you're giving it away. So in 2016, how are you going to be involved in giving away the gospel? And if you're not, why not? That is one of the elements of growing strong in your faith. Paul says, give this away. Give this away. Give this away. And here's the the great thing. The only things you actually keep are the things you're actually trying to give away. When it comes to the gospel, the only thing you actually keep are the elements and things you actually try to give away. So Paul knows that being spiritually strong and doing the work of gospel ministry is not easy, so then he jumps into his third command in verse 3. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, 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 Paul calls on Timothy to serve the Lord not just as a soldier, but a good soldier. A strong Christian does not simply do minimum duty for his Lord, but he goes and lives all out. Notice he gives some marks of a good soldier here. The first mark of a good soldier is the willingness to suffer hardship. I love, I think it's the message translation. It it translates this, take your share of rough treatment. Take your share of rough treatment. Be willing to have that awkward conversation. Be willing to be the minority voice Be willing to take the road less traveled. Be willing not to fit in with your peers if you need to speak the truth. Be willing to take your share of rough treatment. The second mark of a good soldier 
according to Paul, is his willingness to separate himself from his normal environment. He doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs, is the way Paul puts it. No soldier, verse 4, gets entangled in civilian pursuits. They want to live a life free of the encumbrances of this world so that they can serve fully and freely. And this, I think, is probably the one that we need to think about more because we live in a life that you could just enjoy your life and just have hobbies and things that occupy your time that none of them are inherently wrong, immoral, or evil, are they? They're good, enjoyable things, but they can just be distracting, and they can consume you, and they can be one thing after another. I've been trying to teach my children this lesson, and I always say this around Christmas time, hey, kids, what was that wonderful, awesome gift that you needed to make life complete last year? They go, I don't know, right? They have no idea. But all of a sudden this year, there's a wonderful, awesome gift that will make life complete. I said, did did, did you notice the thing that was going to make life complete? You don't even remember what it was. Yeah, and I've done this enough times where they realize, oh, the message dad's trying to communicate, the things of this world don't satisfy. They do not ultimately fill us up. And so every year by this point now, they're already kind of waiting for this to happen. They already know what I'm going to say. But I say, don't live for things that in a year later, you won't even remember what it was. Oh, don't, don't hear misunderstand me. There are many good and wonderful things in our life that we appreciate and give glory to God for. Whatever your particular interest or hobby might be, my point is, a good soldier does not get himself entangled so that he cannot be of full service to the one who enlisted him. You hearing me? Don't say the Pastor Rick doesn't believe in any enjoyment or leisures or anything. That's not it at all. I love, there's so much I love about this world, but that's the problem. We can go through so many good things in this world and miss the best thing, which is being effectively used for the kingdom. And it says a good soldier doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs. And the reason he, does the, he, the, he or she does these two things, willing to suffer hardship and doesn't get entangled in the things of this world, notice in the second half of verse 4, since because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So the reason that they're willing to do these things, to suffer hardship and difficulty and not get entangled in the things of this world is because they want to please the one who enlisted them. That's why they do these things. And so Paul says, so, so when I'm calling you to suffer, suffer like a good soldier who puts himself into danger and does things that they wouldn't ordinarily do and lives a life dedicated to his CO so they can please the CO. If that metaphor doesn't grab you, Paul says, well, maybe, maybe the metaphor of an athlete, verse 5. You need to suffer like an athlete. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The idea here of the athlete is, is of single-minded devotions. Those of you who were athletes and you're in, you know, growing in high school and college, you know what it takes to be a single-minded devotion. You know, the, the word athlete comes from the Greek word here. Athleto means to, to contest, to contend, to wrestle or struggle. And the idea is of a struggle that requires great determination to win. And you know this if you've done sports. Really, the difference between first and second place really doesn't oftentimes come down to talent or ability. It comes down to the person's determination and willingness to do what it takes to win. Paul says, be like that athlete. Be like that athlete that 5 a.m. is out there running or stretching or lifting weights or doing whatever they do for their sport. Single-minded devotion 
Be like that athlete in fighting against the competition against your old self, or the temptations of this world, or the enemy that prowls around. Have a single-minded devotion. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he makes use of that metaphor. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, 27, Paul really unpacks it, talking about uh, where they probably ran the original Isthmian games. We're familiar with the Olympic games, but these are similar games back then, the Isthmian games. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, verse 26, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So Paul says, look, if the soldier metaphor doesn't grab you, maybe the athlete metaphor does. If the athlete metaphor doesn't grab you, how about this last one of the farmer in verse 6? It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So the soldier has the reward of pleasing his commander-in-chief, his chief officer, his CEO. The athlete has the reward of a trophy and, and a crown and the adulation of the crowd. The farmer's reward, he has the harvest. But Paul says, notice, he's a hard-working farmer. The idea is works to toilsome weariness, total exhaustion. I didn't grow up on a farm. <clears throat> you know, I grew up on an island, but I had some friends who worked in farming on the big island. My last church, I had friends who were farmers in North Dakota. They'd tell me a little bit about the farm life. Yeah. You're up before the sun comes up. You're out late. You're out in the heat. You're out in the cold. You're planting your seeds, you're doing your weeding, you're doing whatever it needs to be, whether the soil is loose or hard, because the seasons don't wait for you, so you've got to inconvenience your life to make sure you're working the land. It is a hard life of work and labor. And what drives these men, these women, is the goal of the harvest. They're always looking for the harvest that's going to come up. But notice there is a difference, though. Uh, so, so, though each has a reward, the soldier is, gets the, the rank from his, uh, from his commanding officer, the athlete gets the trophy, the, the farmer gets the harvest, but notice how the farmer's different. The, the, the soldier has the camaraderie of his squad mates. The athlete has the adulation and the praise of, his, of, the, of the crowd and his teammates. The farmer, though, works alone. Nobody's cheering him on. Nobody's going, wow, look at the way you planted that field. That was amazing. Nobody cheers him on. Nobody gives him a promotion. Paul says, look, the Christian life is a lot like a farmer. You do what you do. You toil and you labor, and people don't notice. And you're often exhausted, and there's not a big reward for it initially. But like the farmer knows, the harvest is coming. So Paul says to Timothy and to these Christians, be strong in grace. And he offers three metaphors to help make that command a bit more practical. So what does being strong in grace mean? The metaphor of the soldier shows this detachment from the things of this world so that his life is ready to be used when need to be used. The athlete shows this single-minded commitment to strict training and discipline. 
No pizzas tonight for the athlete, just carrot sticks, right? No sleeping in, it's getting up early. The farmer shows that it's about working hard and not waiting and wanting the reward, but being able to toil, and, and sometimes in obscurity. Paul says that's how you be strong, and he leave, finalizes it with the last command in verse 7. Think over what I say. The, the, the verb nueo for think denotes this idea of perceiving clearly, mulling it over, coming to conclusions, drawing out ways of application, because each of these metaphors are going to look different for everyone's life back in uh, Timothy's day as well as today. The question we have to ask is, am I a growing Christian? Am I showing strength? Am I growing in, in relational strength, in emotional maturity, in my dependency upon God? Or am I the same? Am I stagnant? Am I stagnant well? Or am I running river of fresh water? Am I living a life of self-denial? Or am I living a life of, of self-absorbedness and fulfillment? Am I making the short time, the short, short, short time I have here the short time we have here to matter for eternity, or am I just living it up for the things of now that next year I'll completely forget about? And Paul says, be strong in the grace of God. Now, one final note as I conclude. Going back to verse 1, Paul says, be strengthened in grace. And that's an unusual concept, isn't it? Strong in grace. The Christian life is always going to be a fine dance between that which is hard won and that which is freely given, right? It's going to be a dance between that which is hard won and freely given. We want to make sure that we emphasize, not only as individual Christians but as a church, both elements that our faith is something hard won but freely given. To emphasize one without the other could, could, could make us either be legalists or lazy, and we don't want to do that. I don't want to be a legalist who thinks living by the law is the answer, but I don't want to be lazy and not achieve everything God wants of me. We want to be strong in grace, walking the fine line between both, right? If you tend to have a regimented kind of Bible study routine and ministry involvement and you love theological study, you might lean more towards kind of maybe being the legalist, aren't you, right? Some good things about that, but maybe the fresh winds of grace are missing in your life. Now, if you're kind of on the other hand, more the, I just let go and let God kind of thing, and theological study or for people who like to read kind of thing, you might be more leaning towards spiritual laziness, and maybe gospel confidence is lacking in your life because you're not gleaning from here. You see how, how both of them are great, right? We need both of those. We need them both, but it's so easy to crash into this ditch or overcorrect and crash into this ditch or vice versa. We want to be a church where we have all those kinds of people keeping us balanced together. And as we see people, as God draws people to Christ Community Church, we want to be the fellowship that is strong in grace. The message titled, Elements of a Strong Spiritual Life, was given by Pastor Rick Roadheaver at Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, please visit us at www.ccclh.org.